all of us have heard that uh, seatbelts can can change lives, but have you ever experienced it? Parker Smith, back in 2015, November, was driving one night and his right tire went off the side of the road. When he made a correction, and normally when you do that, you what? You overcorrect, and he overcorrected into the oncoming traffic, right into the path of a truck. Parker's hip was broken in the accident, but in his own words, it could have been far worse. The seatbelt saved my life. It was one of those times in your life and you think nothing bad will happen, and yet something like that happens, I would have been dead. I more than likely would have gone through the windshield if he didn't have on his belt. If you were Parker, what would you do? Would you say to somebody else how important it is for them to be wearing their seatbelt? Would you keep it on yourself going forward? Or would you tell, would you implore people, everyone that you meet, that they got to wear their seatbelt? You know, having been there makes you a witness. But what you do about it is influence. You see, witness is what we are. Influence is what we do. Having come to an understanding of Jesus as Lord and knowing how his presence has affected your life, that makes you a witness, a noun. How you talk about it, how you seek to change others' lives, That's influence. That is action. Mission-minded Christians know and understand that they were hell-bound before they met Christ. And they seek to develop relationships with pre-Christians for the purpose of introducing them to the one who could save their life. Anybody ever heard the name Bill Hybels? Okay, if you haven't heard the name Bill Hybels, but you've heard of that little bitty church called Willow Creek, Bill Hybels is the founding minister of Willow Creek. One thing you may not know about Bill Hybels is he loves to sail. He has a sailing vessel that he actually gets into sail races with. He has something that he does that's very unique in his sailing opportunities. Every year, he develops a totally different crew than what he had the year before. And he makes it a point that that crew is not just a competitive crew, but that crew is made up of non-Christians. You know why? For several hours a week, they're on a boat in the middle of the lake and nowhere to go but to listen to him.
He's not preachy. He just influences them towards Christ. Buddy Kreger, first name's Clark, but he's like one of about four in that family that all have the same name. Um, He grew up in Salem at the same church where my parents were, which is where I was preaching before I came here. Um, As he got into college age, he went to ACC to be a preacher. And he wound up preaching for 27, 28 years at uh, the Lilburn Christian Church, a church that Joy and I attended for about 10 years before we succumbed to the call and we went to seminary in order to move into ministry ourselves. Clark loves to play golf. And when he had the opportunity to go, what he would do is he would go by himself and he would wait until there was a fourth needed in a group. And he would get with men that he'd never played with before until he developed relationships with the regulars. And all he did was play golf with them. Although he did say that um, he had to always tell people by the third hole that he was a preacher because otherwise they'd be apologizing for their language for the rest of the round. But he went and looked for a fourth and used his time that he considered downtime to be influencing for Christ. Bill Booth, if you were to meet Bill, you would say Bill's a very simple man. And he was. Um, High school education, went three work. In fact, what he did was he and did a lot of it and was very, very good at it. But Bill had a problem. When he came to Christ, he had a hard time understanding the Bible. And he would sit and he would read and then he'd have to read it again. Then he'd read it again. And the next day he would have forgotten what he read and he had to read it again. And he would sit with tears in his eyes. And pray that God would make the scripture open up to him. He did a couple of other things. He got the Bible on tape and put it in his workspace, in his shop. Then he started memorizing verses. And he would sit while he was sewing or he was cutting and repeat his Bible verses. He would listen to a couple of sermons every now and again. But by the time Bill was in his mid-50s, the Word had gotten so much into him that it was the only thing that could come out of him. There probably wasn't a single person that ever went through Bill's upholstery shop who he didn't speak to about Christ because that was what was on his mind. I want to ask you a question. Who are you intentionally trying to reach? If you can advance the slide for me, I'd appreciate it. That's on your sheet there. Who am I intentionally trying to reach? And if no one, who can you start with? 
A good congregational goal would be to have everyone trained and equipped to engage the community, starting with those that you already have in your community, your neighbors that you know, your friends that you know. A really good place to start is with 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved. You know the rest of that verse? A workman need not be ashamed, what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Know it like the back of your hand. Because you see, nothing is more freeing for you as an ambassador for Christ than to know the scriptures and to be able to point out right from wrong. To be able to recognize when somebody has a piece of truth but they're misguided and you have the ability to bring them back to the full truth. You know, they say knowledge is power. I don't know about that, but it certainly is confidence. When you know what you know and you know that you know it, it gives you a lot of confidence to speak about it. But waiting until you know everything is crippling to your spiritual health and to the eternal destiny of those who God puts in your life. The facts of the gospel are really simple. You know these. Christ came, Christ died, and he rose, and he went back to heaven, and he is coming again. Very simple message. The challenge that we have in our society is that people know the facts. It's difficult to find anybody who hasn't heard something about Jesus, especially at Christmas time and at Easter time. They at least know he came to earth and he rose from the dead. Even Muslims have heard the stories and they think we're stupid for believing them. Because you see, it's really not a matter of not knowing. It's a matter of unacceptance. People have different reasons for not accepting Christ. But often it is not from a lack of knowing the facts. In fact, from a Barna survey many years ago, um, they said that the average person, the average time that it took for someone to make a positive response to the gospel, they had to have heard the gospel clearly explained to them at least seven times. It means some, maybe two or three, others 15. But not just once but have it clearly explained. Why is that? Does the fact of the Gospels change? No. Does how I present the Gospel vary from the way somebody else presents it? Probably. But is it enough to explain why somebody might have to hear 7 to 15 times about the gospel and about Christ, about the good news before they act on it. I doubt it. So what may be the difference? 
The difference may simply be that nobody has ever shown them the gospel. So I ask you that question. To whom am I showing the gospel? Who can I come alongside of to help them see God through their life? Most people have to be deeply moved before they'll respond. It may be a a subtle searching over a period of time like, like the Ethiopian eunuch. Or maybe years of deep yearning like the Roman Cornelius. Or perhaps it takes, takes a tragedy, an addict who has hit rock bottom and he's lost everything. There are times when our God will take us down to make us look up. Amen? Some of you have experienced that. I have experienced that. Or perhaps maybe burnout. The millionaire who discovers that all of life is vanity and that what this world offers is nothing but emptiness. For others, it's celebration. It's, it's wonder. It's, it's the father after having looked into the eyes of his firstborn for the first time and seeing the miracle of birth who realizes for the first time the kind of relationship it is that God, our father, wants with us. Maybe it takes... A retreat. You know, when we send kids to Christ and youth for the weekend, CIY, or or, or they go to camp for a week, um, you know, after that time of preparation, after the fun, after the, the study and the focused time on prayer and reflecting in God, on God's word and their life, there's a lot of kids that are ready to make that decision to change their life and to live for the Lord. Or maybe somebody just needs a neighbor or a friend who looks at the life of a Christian and then at their own life and realizes what what they want, what they really need is something that is, is different. And they come to the point of asking the question, why is your life so different from mine? How, how could you be joyous when, when things are just falling apart? What is it you have that I don't? You know, part of that preparation we get from 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, where Peter writes, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So I ask you another question. What is your reason? What is your story? 
How has knowing Christ really made a difference in your life? You see, that's what people want to hear. And you may be presentation number one. You may be presentation number 15 or number 30. You don't know. But what you do know is how Christ and living in Him has changed you. Yes, you need to be ready with the facts. You need to study. You need to learn. Yet Peter reminds us that just giving the facts is not enough, is not all there is to persuasion. What the non-believer needs to know is they need to know your reason for your hope. Because you see, the thought's kind of like this. My life can't change unless someone is willing to show me how their life has changed and how Christ has made a difference for them. So I ask you, how has the extravagant love of God changed you? Changed your attitude? Changed your actions? Changed your marriage? Changed your circle of friends? Changed how you spend your money? How has it changed you? You probably know the name Corey Timboom. She was arrested along with her family for harboring Jews by the Germans and sent off to a concentration camp. And she saw many evils, including her sister, die. After the war, she spent her life trying to express the love of Christ. There's one incident which she talks about where there was a guard from that particular concentration camp that came after her, up to her after one of her talks. And she recognized his face. He didn't have to say anything. What would you do in that situation? I can tell you that by the love of Christ and the mercy of God that Corey Timboom expressed to him her forgiveness to him. And the man wept. George. George is a guy you would never meet. He's just an average individual. But he discovered one day that his neighbor had built a fence 20 feet over the property line onto his property. Yet instead of going to court, what George did is he went to the courthouse and he filed a quick claim deed, giving the property over to his neighbor. And he went to the neighbor's house and he handed him the quick claim deed and said, here, this is for you. And he turned to walk away and his neighbor, stunned, said, why, why would you do this? And George turned around and said, 
I'd rather you have this than for us to fight about something that has no eternal value. It changed what could have been a bitter dispute into an open door for George to talk about what had made the change in his life. Rick Harper, I knew him as Ricky, he's just a couple of years older than me, um, has for years been campus minister at Georgia Tech. And uh, I guess she's been there 25 years. He tells the story of one particular young woman, uh, an inner city person that, that grew up in, in the mean streets, had a very hard time. She was playing on Georgia Tech's girls' volleyball team. And she'd walk by the, the house, and every now and again she'd come in for a meal. And they got, got an opportunity to, to strike up some conversation. Well, Rick had planned a retreat weekend and he talked to this young lady and she said hey I'd really like for you to come it's about 50 bucks so that'll be the cost but we'd like you to come and and go with us and the young lady said I can't do that I don't have any money to do that well a couple of days later when she was walking by Rick ran out of the building and ran down to the sidewalk and flagged her down and he said hey I got something for you and he reached out and he put a $50 bill in her hand and he said look I want you to have this. You can spend it on anything that you want. It's yours. You use it the way you want to. We'd really like for you to come to the retreat. He said tears rolled down her face as she said, no one has ever done anything like this for me before. And a few months later, She joined the family. You see, friends, we have to earn the right to be heard. And the way we do that is through relationships. By being involved with people and their struggles. Because if you think about it, we don't want to be told that God or someone or something loves us what we want is to be loved. We don't want to be told that God or someone cares for us. What we want is someone to care. I don't need to be told that I have a friend in Jesus. What I need is a friend. I don't so much need to be told that Jesus can change my life as I need to see how Jesus has changed your life. You see, being mission-minded is being a change agent within your sphere of influence. To love people honestly sacrificially into the family. We need to take advantage of what Jim Henderson, who wrote a little book called Evangelism Without Additives, what Jim Henderson calls ordinary attempts. Because, you know, we see that evangelism word and we think it's this great big thing, and it's not. It's 
It's an ordinary thing where we have a divine appointment. Do you know what that is? That's when God puts you in the path of somebody that needs to hear about him. Kind of what Steve was talking about in his communion meditation. Ordinary attempts. Ordinary attempts is just something simple, not necessarily complete, but which puts another plank in the bridge between a specific person and Christ. It's simply loving and reaching out like Christ did to you. Then evangelism isn't this big looming monster that feeds on our guilt trips. It just becomes an everyday, ordinary thing that we can all do. I want to take just a moment. and I want you to look in your bulletin and I want you to pull out that communication card that's there. And I want you to put your name on it in your uh, email address. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, if you want to fill the whole card out and and put it in the basket that's at the table with the red tablecloth on it, we've got a a gift for you, a book there that I think you would find very, very interesting. And I'd like for you to, to, to pick one up if you're willing to do that. Let me write my name down on mine. Also on the back, you'll note there are several things that you can do. If you haven't done so already, uh, I want to encourage you to memorize 1 Peter 15 and 16. If you're willing to do that, just mark that so I'll know. Um, And read John 9, totally different story. But there's a man who's healed there, and I think there's something you can learn about being mission-minded about when your life has changed. Just look at what and think about what that man did differently this week. Uh, The video that we showed earlier, uh, the Living Trust Seminar, that's what it was for, Uh, the the planning video. Uh, If you have some interest in hearing about that, we'll get some more details as it comes. But Adrian Fisher is heading that up. And if you want to mark here that you're interested, I'll make sure she gets your name. Um, Also, we have the gathering. Anybody who is doing uh, the opening welcome at the church here or doing communion meditations, we'd love for you to come. We'd like to say thank you to you and to to discuss some ways that we can uh, help to streamline that process a little bit. Men's Bible study, we're getting ready to get that started. The books are here today. If I did not give you a book and you have already signed up, see me before you leave and I'll put a book in your hand. If you want to sign up today and bring me the card, I probably got a couple of extras and I can still give you a book as well. Um, If you have any other uh, prayer concerns, please mark them down there. Uh, In a moment, as we go into our our final hymn uh, of the day and our closing, Drop this in the the offering as it's passed.
If you want to know a little bit more about how Jesus has changed my life and how he can change yours, I'm more than happy to sit down and talk with you about it. Just indicate that uh, on the back of the card here. You know, I want to learn more about becoming a follower. I want, I want to learn more about baptism. Uh, just mark that and be sure to put your card in the bag as it is passed. My Christian sibling, somewhere along the way, you answered a simple invitation and probably one that someone else was willing to share their life with you and you responded to that. That simple invitation, won't you come to Jesus? Let him change your life. Let him wipe away your sin and give you a new life that's eternal. Siblings, I want to challenge you to not just keep the invitation going out. I want to challenge you to be the invitation. That's that last slide. Be the invitation. Be the invitation. Father God, we thank you for we thank you for the saints who have gone before us. We thank you, Father, for those who have breathed their life into us, be it a Sunday school teacher, be it um, uh, someone who led a small group, someone who uh, was on a ministry staff or an elder or a deacon or just one of the saints who just wanted to breathe life into us and show us how Christ has changed their life. And we thank you, Father, that the blood of the cross is still able to change lives and to change futures today. We pray for your blessing over these next few moments. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.